uh, what we're going through right now is a series on our values. Now, today is actually worship and prayer, but I'm just going to speak on worship today because we're going into a series after this on prayer and the importance of prayer in our life and how prayer really does not only change things, it moves things in our life. This is what's in our bucket. If you are new here, which many of you are, I would like for you to go back and just review some of these sermons because they're going to tell you who we are, why we were called to Amarillo back in the day years ago, 12, 13 years ago, a young man was showing, I was a young man, believe it or not. And a young man was showing up at my office and he was uh, uh, talking to me about coming on with Harvest Christian Fellowship and what that would look like and how we would come to Amarillo and and uh, just over a period of some months. And, and we really took our time and through prayer and discernment, we knew it was time to come and plant this church. And this is what is in our bucket. These are the things that are in our bucket. This is what might make us a little bit different from other churches that are here in Amarillo, Texas. As we get ready for this today, we're going to talk about one of those most important things that's in our bucket. We get complaints on this is worship. Why would you get complaints on worship? There have been several times we've been told our worship is over the top. It's too much. I know, I know, but some of you have been with us a long time, right? And so uh, what is that? Could it be more? Of course it can. You know, what gets our attention gets our direction, and eventually we'll get our destination, church. And we want to make sure that what is in front of us and who is in front of us as we worship is Jesus. Not his creation. You're going to see the danger in worshiping his creation, but we want to worship the creator. And so today we're going to talk about this value of worship. If you would please stand, we're going to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to start here. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Verse 3, so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. It probably sounded like Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. You may be seated. It's interesting to me, how many times did Moses go by this bush and it were burning and yet he possibly did not even notice it because of the things going on in his life? There's a couple of things I want us to see. First, Moses said, I must turn aside and now see this marvelous sight. Now, that sounds to me like he has seen this sight before, but all of a sudden, it now has his attention. Now, notice when God speaks, there were probably plenty of opportunities where this bush were possibly burning and Moses had gone by this bush, but possibly he didn't notice, nor did he he hear God speak. I believe there's a reason for that. And it's found in verse four, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. Did y'all see that? When he took time to pay attention, when he finally said, hey, you know what? I'm going to slide. Something is different here. This bush has been on fire, and yet it's not consumed. I was by here yesterday, possibly, and it was on fire, yet it was not consumed. But now he stopped, and he turned aside. Now he hears the Lord speaking to him. Church, listen to me. So many things can get our attention that we can walk right by a miracle of God 
and not offer him worship. And now God is saying, this is holy ground. You have now paid attention. Now take your sandals off. Stand here in my presence. It's interesting to me because this, this burning, this, this desire, this, this wantingness of God for us to not just notice him, but worship him and keep him first in our life is so important. You know, there's another time where uh, in Scripture, it's the only other time, it's found in Joshua chapter 5, verse 15, and this is Joshua, and he's actually leading the Israelites across, right, from uh, Jordan to Jericho, and he encounters the commander of the army of the Lord, is what the Scripture says, and he is told, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Now, what's interesting to me is this is what Paul is talking about in the book of Ephesians when he writes to the church at Ephesus and he's talking about our spiritual place and he even talks about putting on the shoes of the gospel because what you see with Joshua, the place he's standing, which he is actively at war, he's actively going into this place that as his feet go forward, they're on holy ground because it's going to be claimed for God's kingdom for his territory, church. Isn't that awesome? That means that when we worship God, when the shoes of the gospel are, are upon us, that wherever we go, we bring his gospel. He goes before us. There's a great thing that God wants to do in us and through us to promote his kingdom. And it happens as we worship him wherever we are at whatever time we're there. I think it's significant in Scripture. That Joshua's encounter in, in 515 is coincided even with the Passover and what happens at the Passover. Because the Passover is a crossover, if you will. And a lot of scholars have tied these two occurrences together. If we consider the Garden of Gethsemane a place of holy ground, then Jesus' occurrence also happened at the time of Passover. Meaning that, look, we live on this side of the cross. If you were here for the four points of the cross, I talked about the importance of living on this side of the cross because on this side of the cross, if you are a Christian, it's holy ground. Wherever you are, because the temple of God is within you. Joshua crossed over. We too should cross over. We should understand that this place is holy ground. Even here on South Bonham Street, 4808 South Bonham, it's an incredible place because it's holy ground. It's not just for our generation, it's for the next generation. It's for generations to come. And so God is generational and he says as you worship him, as we pass this on to the next generation, the next generation will become a generation of worshipers as well. Church, if we understood how holy our God is and that we carry his holy presence wherever we go, we will stay in an attitude of worship and our worship will draw others into worship of our God as well. Louis Giglio said it this way. He said, you, my friend, are a worshiper and all you do in every place, it's who you are. It's what you were created for. Look, church, we are created to worship. And whether or not you worship Jesus Christ or not, you are worshiping. You were created to worship within you. You are worshiping something right now. Worship, it's our response to what we value most in life. Now, that's a simple little definition of worship, but it's our response to what we value most in this life. Some value their children more than their God. Uh, we're going to chase that one? No, I'm not to my tension place yet. We will later. 
But some value sports teams more than they value their God. Some value their own life, their own majesty, if you will, more than they do their own God. Many say they worship every Sunday. Others who rarely darken the church doors would say isn't, uh, it isn't necessarily a part of their life because I, I, I still believe, but I don't need the church. But everyone has an altar. And listen, church, every altar has a throne. And we're going to pay attention to that today. Harvest Connection is a place where we worship our God. Look, we might as well talk about some of our differences up front. One of the differences is, and I, I have this noticed all the time, we don't do special music on Sunday morning. If you would just let my daughter get up there and show you how gifted and talented she really is and pass the offering plate, the offering plate would be full. Everyone's looking for a spotlight. Everyone's creating their own, if you will, pulpit in this life. And if we're not careful, what will happen is it will become more about me than more about him. And that's when the church gets in trouble because we worship the creation over the creator, including ourselves. See, we're not here to perform before any audience other than the audience of one. We are here to lead others into the presence of God. We tell the leadership team, I say this almost every Sunday morning to the leadership team here, we are just here to create an environment where people can experience God. We're stewards for a time, simply stewards for a time. So our goal is not to be recognized by our greatness, but to bring God recognition for his greatness. That's our goal. We lay ourselves down. We are not looking to build ourselves up here. We don't want this to be a place where gifting comes before character. You see, I believe it's an honor to be on the worship team. I believe it's an honor to be up here speaking and preaching and pastoring the Word of God. That's an honor, but it's an honor that is limited. It is time-sensitive, if you will. Your life is time-sensitive when it comes to worship. My life is time-sensitive when it comes to worship upon this earth. So we have to be careful with worship. In all of us, there's a need, a draw, an unquenchable thirst to go deeper with God. One of the ways this happens, there's no doubt, is through worship. We've got to recognize our need and the needs of others who want to go deeper with God. Some of the purest forms of worship, you're not going to like what I'm about to say, but some of the purest forms of worship today are found outside the walls of the church. All of a sudden... We have supposedly holy, or maybe a better word for it, is hallowed ground. There's a little bit of difference between those two words. One is holy and stands for the holiness, the purity of God, but hallowed, it really means sacredy. It's, it's, it means that it's a sacred place to me. What's sacred to you? Have you ever stepped on a campus? college campus said, Ooh, I'm home. Careful. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> but there's no doubt I enjoy all these things at times way too much as well. All of you have to do, all you have to do is drop into a concert at times and you'll see worship, a purest form of worship or a sporting event and you'll see amazing worship. People are going for it, lifting hands, shouting, staking their claims, standing in awe, declaring their allegiance, taking territory, wanting to defeat their enemy. Be careful 
be careful because there's only one who is worthy of our worship. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, to me, this is who Paul is kind of confronting, the people of the day, if you will, the institution of the day. The institution that he's actually impacting and speaking to during this time is really an institution of higher education, an institution of higher level learning. And, and he steps right in there, and he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people. This is Romans 1, 18, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him, as, him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They gave their honor. They gave their homage. They gave their devotion to something less. Look, if you choose not to give God what he desires, Church, you need to hear me. You'll worship anyway. Simply exchanging the creator for something he created. The simple definition of worship, it's what I've said. It's our response to what we value most. Every human being, every soul worships. So on planet earth, we have a multitude of souls proclaiming with every breath what is worthy of their affection, what is worthy of their attention, and what is worthy of their allegiance. You know, this past week, some of you don't know this, I've actually been out of town. I was out of town starting last week, and I got back, uh, uh, I don't know what day I got back, but I got back sometime this week. Was it Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday. I got back Wednesday. But an, uh, an interesting thing, I was in Idaho, and I met up with my best friend in the Army, and we were going on a chucker hunt. Now, you probably don't need, you got to look up chucker. I get it. All right, I did too. It's an oversized quail, but it's a tough hunt. We were actually um, uh, uh, on the Salmon River, and as we were on this Salmon River, a beautiful, beautiful place, and this is no joke. So the first morning, I mean, we're setting up camp. We're actually floating the Salmon River. It's, it's a long story. My phone wouldn't work. It's a great getaway for me. In the middle of nowhere, if you've been to Idaho, you know that, right? And uh, the Salmon River is... Uh, right above the Snake River, and it's an amazing river. It's over 435 miles without any dam. It's a, as a matter of fact, I think it's the longest river in the United States without some form of dam. So, so every beach is a sandy beach along the side of this river that is, is not man-made at all. And so we would go, and, and we were on a, a sandy beach. Well, the first morning I'd get up, and, and this is a, a little more of the story than what I, I probably should share, but I'm going to share this. And uh, uh, myself and Seth, he's my army buddy, we, we get up early and uh, we're dressed long before daylight and everything and daylight hits when we get ready to go out on, on the water with our guide and our guide, uh, uh, I'm, I'm putting on my vest, my hunting vest and getting my shotgun ready to go and uh, Seth looks in the tent, he said, hey dude, get out here right now. And I thought there was a bear, I thought, what? this guy is urgent. I said, what is it? He said, hurry, hurry, get out here, get out here. You got to see this. You got to see this. So I step out and all it is, is our guide and him walking down to get on the raft that he's about to take us down the river on before we climb the mountain. But there was something he was wearing that made him very unusual. He had on a loincloth. 
Let me, we got a picture. All right, don't worship the creation over the creator, all right? Now, let's, uh, let me just stop here for a moment because I really have this as an example as to what I knew at this time I'm probably going to have an opportunity to witness about Jesus. And so as I uh, began to uh, speak to this man, this is what he told me. Uh, he, he, uh, the, the cool thing about a pastor traveling is no one knows that I'm a pastor. And so I just asked him, I said, hey, do you have faith? Do you believe in anything? As we're floating the river. And he's like, yeah, I believe in, it, in, it, in something. I'm a spiritualist, which I heard that twice on this trip. He said, I'm a spiritualist. And he said, I, I honestly, he said, these mountains are my church. This environment is my community of faith. He said, uh, today, I just want you to know when you're up there in the rocks and everything, you'll probably come across a rattlesnake den. I never kill a rattlesnake. He said, and therefore, I've never been bitten. And, and so I just let him go on, and I realized he's worshiping the creation over the creator. It's a very popular thing and a very easy thing for us to do. Now, I would have an opportunity not just to witness to him, but also to his friend, who I think a difference was made. But let me just say, this is what happens if we're not careful. The wrath of God is being revealed. For they knew God, but they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him, the Creator of all things. Look, how do you know where and what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. At the end of the trail, you'll find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne, that's what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. And let me say something, church. The trail never lies. It doesn't. Everybody has an altar and every altar has a throne. What gets your attention is another way to say it gets your direction. And what gets your direction ultimately will what? Get your destination. This is an important thing that we talk about. Who and what has your worship today? In Acts chapter 17, Paul moves on. And here he's really talking to uh, the doctors, the attorneys, the theologians, the philosophers. He is on a higher place. He's with the Epicureans, and you can study about them. And a group of them and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some ask of them, or some of them ask, What is this babbler trying to say, speaking of Paul? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him, brought him to to a meeting of Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. This is what they did. I'm smarter than you. Watch this. 
Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. See, Paul is going to reveal what their heart is really looking for because everyone has a void in this life, and it's a void of wanting to worship something. Something has to be of more value than we are. But that something, if it's the wrong thing, is very, very dangerous and will lead us to the wrong destination. Paul's leading them to bring their affection to the one true God, so he preaches Jesus and the resurrection. Paul understands their need to expose their heart so God can write on it. It's an important place. Guys, it's good to get away. It's good to see creation. Romans 1 that we just read prior to this, he's saying, look, you should see all this and it should cause you to glorify the creator, not the creation. Look at this next picture. I know I don't have it. Look at that. Yeah, it's beautiful. But don't worship it. Be grateful for it. And be grateful that we have the opportunity to enjoy it. And Paul's saying, hey, there are all these things that ought to point you to our God, but don't worship the things. Look, God must have and must get our attention. And sometimes it takes a burning bush. And even though we may see that burning bush, we may not recognize or slow down enough to hear the voice of God. It wasn't until Moses stopped and looked where he heard the voice of God. In other words, Moses was walking by, and now, now he finally stops long enough to notice and say, that bush has been on fire, and yet it's not been consumed. And then he hears a voice, and God said, oh, you finally slowed down where I can speak to you. I've got something for you to do. Moses turned aside, and he noticed Paul, he's being used by God to turn the people's affection, to turn them to their Lord, to their one true God. Look, when your attention, when your direction, when your affection is on God, I want you to see something. It not only turns you aside, it turns those around you aside to start paying attention to God, to know that they're created for him and in him. In some ways, we become a burning bush, if you will. Moses turned and paid attention to the burning bush long enough for God to speak. What makes the ground holy? The type of altar that is built there makes the ground holy. I'm telling you, when a holy God is present, the ground itself is holy. Many of us are used to or are, are used as the burning bush. For others to understand, wow, their, their feet are truly shod with the shoes of the gospel. There is something different about them. There's something that God's doing with them. There is anointing. There's a presence about them. And you know what it is? It's God working in his temple. When we worship and we are true to our creator, I'm telling you, it's attractional to others. Here's why. They have a void to know their creator. Tell me what you know. John Wesley, he said, I set myself on fire so that people come and watch me burn. 
You see, whatever it takes to get someone's attention and help them turn to their true God. The worship team, you're a burning bush. Those of you who are here serving on Sunday mornings, the, the intercessory prayer team, you're a burning bush in so many ways. You remind people that this is holy ground. I was in uh, Seattle, Washington. I ended the trip in Seattle, Washington. Well, I actually ended it here, but I was in Seattle. I've got a picture here of Seattle. That's not, I promise you, that is not Seattle. I could stay there, but I couldn't stay in Seattle. Is there, did I send, I didn't send one. Okay, I apologize. There's not a picture of Seattle. You can look up Seattle if you'd like to see it. But in the time that I was there, I met with a pastor. And as he and I were, were meeting, and this goes with this point, uh, God must have your attention. So while I was there, uh, he was telling me the struggles that the church was having. I've got some pictures of his church. We, uh, he showed me and took me through his church and, and then we ate down on, uh, the coast and we got the good food and all that stuff. But as we visited, uh, he said, Curtis, here's what you need to know. If you are Islamic here, you are embraced, massively embraced. He said, if you are Buddhist here, you are embraced. The people love you and they are encouraging you in your faith. If you are Christian, you are on the fence. But you better not say anything about your Judeo-Christian faith. You don't have a pulpit to speak the name of Jesus. And then he took it one step further. He said, if you are an evangelical Christian, he said, they will shut you down and run you out of this city. He said, you need to know the persecution is happening right here. They will show up on our yard and look to shut us down because we preach the word of God. We, many of us don't understand what that means. In talking to him, I, I simply tried to encourage him. Hey, hey, man, hang in there. We can pray for you. Just know that all of these people have voids. And you're the answer to the void. You really are. So, so God must have our attention so that others can put their attention upon our true God. And the other is God must have our affections, all of our affections. You know, the first commandment is the first commandment for a reason, church. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Because it's so easy to have other gods before him. Choose ye this day whom you will worship. As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. You got to be affectionate towards your God because we're affectionate towards the things we care about, towards things we love. How you show your affection may be different than me as long as it is attractive and not a distraction to others from recognizing the burning bush. It's great. And the word affection is the root word affect. Because Moses slowed down to notice it affected his affection. But not only his, but also God's affection towards Moses. It reminds me of that scripture in Chronicles. His eyes searched to and fro upon the earth, seeking those whose hearts are fully devoted on him. See, Moses slowed down and God took notice. But the neat thing is, is Moses would lead people to know his God. 
He learned to hear and notice the voice of God. The apostle Paul, his affection had a great effect on the people at Athens. Later on in in, uh, Exodus, and I know I'm going from New Testament to Old Testament, but but in Exodus chapter 32, there's something that happens here that I have to bring to our attention before I close out this morning. Because Moses went through the burning bush experience, the holy ground experience, if you will, told to take his sandals off. And later on in Exodus chapter 32, something remarkable happens. Moses goes up on the mount to receive the Ten Commandments. He's gone for some time. The people begin to to grumble against his brother Aaron. And so Aaron says, I got to do something. These people are used to worshiping. I got to put something and someone out in front for them to worship. And you know what the scripture says? The scripture says that he told them to take their gold. He told, watch this. He told the men and the women to take out their gold earrings. What were the men doing? Anyway, and some of you men have earrings. I'm just picking on you to stay with Take your, one version says that not only did he tell them to take their earrings, but their nose rings. And that's too much, I agree. (laughs) And they melted them down and formed formed an image of a golden calf, and they gave homage and worship to it. Now, here's what I see in that passage that basically Aaron said, take your small gods, let's put them together and make one big God. That's a dangerous place to be. It's all dangerous because it takes our affection away from the one true God church. You know, little things can become big things. Watch what has your attention. So many times the minors become the majors in life, including what gets our affection. And who gets the most of it? Worship is one of the most essential ways we connect here at Connection. We connect to Jesus through our worship. He has an effect on others as we worship Him and Him alone. Others will always take notice of your worship and where your affection goes to. And because the altar of your heart is holy ground, listen, church, your heart is holy ground. God, if he's after anything today, he's after your heart, and he wants to know that he has it. It's holy to him. His voice is speaking, do we notice? The bush is burning, will we slow down and listen? So where and what and whom are you worshiping this morning, church? Where would the trail of your life lead us to? You ever think of that? Because the trail of your life should lead others to Jesus and Him alone. The trail of your time, the trail of your affection, the trail of your energy, the trail of your money, the trail of your allegiance. Because at the end of this trail, you'll find a throne and whatever or whomever is on that throne, that's what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. And church, as I said earlier, the trail never lies. It doesn't lie. On that throne is what you worship, what you value most. Church, you're going to hear a message series coming up soon that's on time. If you go back the week before last and just watch the message that was preached at Bravehearts, 
I talk about time because life is seasonal. And what we do with this life in this season and who we give our homage and our worship to is going to determine our destination. Will you please stand? I'm going to ask the altar team to make their way forward this morning. And as they make their way forward this morning, I want to encourage you to think and reflect. Slow down and look at what's burning in your life. Because when I think of Moses, this is what I think. One is he worked for his father-in-law. And as a father of daughters, I can tell you this, that if I employ a son-in-law, I'm going to work his tail off. I'm going to do it. And, and I want to know what's in there. I want to know what I, can, what I can depend on, what I can drive out, what's going to take care of my daughters, right? And so I believe Jethro was actually, was actually causing Moses just turning up the heat. We got to get more sheep. We got to get more country. We got to get more territory. We got to grow this thing up. We got to make it what it's supposed to be. And so through all those pressures of life, they created a fire that was greater than the fire that God created at the burning bush. And so he would run either from one fire to another or possibly just to the large fire of his father-in-law and not slow down enough at that burning bush in that quiet place to hear the words of God himself. Moses, take your sandals off. We're going to have a talk. The ground that you're on is holy. And when he heard those words, it not only transformed Moses, it transformed the nation. We need to hear those words this morning, church. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for each one. Father, for those who would love to receive prayer and come back to their first love. Father, I pray that uh, they would come forward and receive and hear from you because, Lord, sometimes the burning bush is simply listening to who God put in front of you to hear that day, to who you put in front of us, Lord, for this day. May we hear your voice clearly, Father, in this season called life. Amen.